Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. This week with Arabella Weir. Hello and welcome to Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Higson and every Sunday night in April I've been inviting some of my friends to come on the air and talk with me about their favourite music. We started with Paul Whitehouse, last week it was the turn of Bob Mortimer and this week I'm delighted to be joined by my fellow fast show friend Arabella Weir. How are you Arabella if that's not too loaded a question these days? Uh, no, I'm pretty good. I was actually reflecting last night on how lockdown for those of us, let's say, I'm going to be use a broad sweep here, over 50, isn't that different. But it must be very hard on young people who are expecting, you know, lives packed with more than gardening and drinking nice wine. Uh, yes. So things haven't changed that much yes. for me. But, but of course, uh, we, we, we all, we know how old everybody is now from when they get the jab. <laughs> oh, you've true. had it already. I didn't know you were that old. So obviously, Ari, Scala, and now, is it all, you see, I've always called you Ari. Short yes, I was about to say for the listeners, anybody who ever hears or sees me on a show with anybody, be it from Charlie Hickson, Paul Whitehouse, Bob Mortimer, everybody calls me Ari. But if you see me in the street, don't call me Ari because I'll give you a fierce look. So it's the uh, name people use to shorten the rather grand Arabella. Uh, but yes, of course, you can call me Ari in this show because it would be odd you, if you didn't. Are you sure you're right? You're not going to um, hit me. I'm not going to say no, you must call me Lady Weir. Dame, uh, no. I think Dame Arabella Weir. That's right. Yes, Mark Williams used to call me Dame Arabella, <laughs> didn't he? But uh, no, Ari is fine. Of course it is. So, so Your Majesty. Obviously, Scala Radio is a classical music station, and we're, that's what we're talking about largely today, not entirely. You know, in your life, when do you think you were first aware of, that there was such a thing as classical music? Well... Uh, for as long as I can remember from, because as you might guess with a name like mine, both my parents were quite snobby and very highly educated. Uh, although my father came from very modest Fife uh, background, but he was a piano virtuoso and his mother was a piano teacher in Dunfermline in Fife and he was very, very good at the piano. So right from when I was little, my dad would play, and this is one of my choices, my dad would play a lot of Schubert. So I, it was more that I wasn't aware of anything that wasn't classical music, because my parents certainly never listened to pop or even easy listening, or there might've been a bit of jazz by the time we were in America in the early 60s. But you know, they were very snobby about music and both very, very interested in opera and, you know, just classical music. So, um, well, I want to pick up on that after. Let's play a piece of music first because I do want to talk. Is this something we've been talking about through this series of, of, of like the idea is do you need to be posh to listen to classical music? Is it <laughs> a kind now. of snobby thing? So, no, and I mean, I think it is a really interesting area. So, but you have chosen um, from the Magic Flute by Mozart, um, one of Papagino's, is it Papagino? Papageno. Papageno, you see, proper proper snobs like you know how to say it. <laughs> or people, people who can speak Italian. Yes. So when, when would you have heard that then, Arabella? So I was taken to see the opera of Magic Flute as, wait for it, as if you would need such a thing. And of course, looking back, it probably was a good thing. I was being introduced gently to a, in inadvertent commas, easy opera. So I'd have been about eight or nine 
Gosh. When, but my parents, I think, had already split up or certainly were in the process of splitting up. But the things that they regarded important as being exposed to was Latin, opera, classical music, uh, obviously not at that stage, fine wines. I'm beginning to sound like Swiss Tony. Um, chocolates. Chocolates. Um, <laughs> and the manly smell of a pipe. <laughs> certainly not that. Um, I so, think... so do you remember enjoying that when you went to see it? No, because of course, anything <laughs> like that when you're eight is just torture. Um, but the idea of being taken to a panto or a fun play, you know, anything an eight year old mm. might actually be able to engage with um, was a complete anathema to yeah. my parents. But then they were very much that generation of you didn't treat children like children, you treated children like mini adults yes. who need you, you can't wait for them to grow up you put them in the nursery for 10 years till they're able to have a conversation about exactly you ignore them but, 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 but yeah but the, the magic flu is one of those kind of considered the sort of a fun opera with yeah. lots of magic and and fun things happening but it's and still very colorful and no and looking back of course i was delighted i mean i am delighted that it happened but also i realized that i you see i took my kids to see or rather their beloved godmother would take them to see things like that, but productions that had been specifically tailored to mm. eight to 12 well, year Well, like olds. shortened because... Um, well, and all the fun it's arias... It's isn't it, the magic yeah. flute? Well, all <laughs> operas feel long, <laughs> if you ask me, even though I love opera now. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, I do remember really liking the tunes, if mm. I may. Uh, both my parents are dead, so there'll be no... I can't believe you said tunes <laughs> um uh it's an aria darling it is a tune and and yeah. to the italians going to the uh, opera is like going to see a musical and it is exactly. about and especially it is about the great tunes and, and 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 so this idea that you have to be sort of educated to somehow understand classical music uh, I, I i sort of very i react against because you know i mean in in uh, in working class communities, uh, such as mining communities, they, you know, you would have your brass band and they would play popular songs, but they would also play classical songs. So people have this music in their lives and around them, and yet they think it's something other. Yeah, and, but that and will know, also, Charlie, have been pricing, you know, the yes, toffs yes. Uh, slash the establishment, uh, and I would include my parents in this, sort of, I don't know whether on purpose, but certainly made it a club that yeah. you were excluded from, if by nothing else, not your class or your level of education, but the pricing, uh, mm. you know, and then of course it became their club to which you would not be allowed admittance because you didn't have whatever it was, 200 quid for uh, Glyndebourne or, you know, whatever crazy price it is. But of course the Italians have always had a better approach to classical music where, you know, you'd get it, as you well know, in public squares, and it's not, it's mm. made for everyone. It's not made to work out whether or not you're a surf. Yeah. Well, I mean, the music that I first liked listening to, the classical music, and this is something I talked to about uh, with Paul Whitehouse, who, who described the type of classical music I liked as a boy as crash bang wallop uh, <laughs> music. Uh, and why not? And so I'm going to play now one of my favourite Crash Bang Wallop pieces from when I was a boy that, that, that got me into classical music. Uh, it's, it's the start of Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. And it's basically, you take both hands and you spread all the fingers and you hit as many uh, notes as you can at the same time. They're like power chords at the start of a, of a great rock song. So let's hear the Crash Bang Wallop opening of Tchaikovsky's first piano concerto. <laughs> 
You're listening to Scarlet Radio with me, Charlie Higson, and my special guest this week, Arabella Weir. On the way next is one of Arabella's choices from Schubert. was the scherzo from Schubert's Piano Sonata number 21 in B-flat major uh, and that was a choice of my guest this week on Charlie Higsonet and Friends, Arabella Weir uh, and that was a piece you said earlier that your father used to play so do you remember him playing that? Vividly and uh, it sort of brings a tear to my eye because my dad's been dead a long time now. Uh, my dad was many things in life and he had been set to be a um, you know, a virtuoso on the piano, but didn't practice enough in any way, became a diplomat and whatever. Mm. But he was very, very good at the piano. And he always used to play that the moment he sat at the piano. That would be the first thing he played. And he'd never get to the end of it. But he, so whenever <laughs> I hear that, and we played it at my dad's funeral and his memorial, and it's just, well, I love Schubert. And, uh, you know, and I love that particularly because I cannot even hear the first couple of bars without thinking of my dad. Mm. Well, I mean, and it is it, technically that's a very complex piece. So, do you think yes. he regretted that I he didn't take uh, that route? No, I think he. My dad was incredibly competitive and incredibly hard on himself. So, I think what he mainly minded was that he didn't spend six hours a day practicing, as well as being a leading Arabist, as well as doing a very successful job as a diplomat. Uh, so how did you? So so how did your parents react? And it's the classic question that actors get asked when you said you wanted to be an actor. Uh, well, my mother said all actors are morons apart from <laughs> Michael Horden, and my father said, oh, <laughs> "Why Michael Horden?" I don't know. So that was her sort of, you know, that was her favorite actor and, at the time. But in, but in but in your experience, do you think she was right? <laughs> well, it's turned out she wasn't far off the mark. But my mother had, as an academic, had absolutely no experience of actors, um, and my dad was certainly gave me the feeling that he was mainly disappointed in everything I did and all my choices anyway. So um, he just said, "Oh, it'll be very, it'll be very competitive." And used to ask me every time he saw me until I had some modicum of success, surely it's time for you to give up now. <laughs> uh, don't you want to make a living, darling? Yeah. Um, but I think but actors probably ask themselves that every day, don't they? There is a moment. You keep thinking there's a moment when you'll know it's time to give up. Just as, as you well know, Charlie, you keep thinking once you have started earning a living and what people outside our business would call once you've made it, thinking... Surely I've got to feel like I'm successful now. Surely this has got to feel like this is it. And of course, certainly it's, for, well, it's, for, me, for me, I find it's only really in retrospect, you think, oh, gosh, that was quite successful. Exactly. I was, I was doing quite well then. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And that's exactly what you feel, isn't it? You look, people go, oh, my God, you were in that. And when there's some young sort of in their early 30s, female comedians said to me, oh, my God, you're like you're a benchmark for us. And I thought, me, how do you even know who I am? It's um, always been my ambition to be a benchmark. Benchmark, yeah. They might not <laughs> said, I think I was just trying to be modest. What one of them actually said was you're a ledge. A and ledge. I think she meant legend rather than a ledge on which to be left. Yeah, um, to throw yourself off. Yes, um, so, and I, of course, never learned to play the piano 
at all. So, yeah. They, we're talking, to, uh, talking, Arabella, of things that you were in. That is the French Lieutenant's Woman, starring um, Meryl Streep. Yes. And now, me, obviously. Well, and you, yes. Um, and I believe that um, on the back of doing that film with um, Meryl Streep, she was so impressed by your performance that she asked you to become her child's nanny. Yes. See, she just I think, Charlie, although if I no. were ever to write a memoir, <laughs> it would be called I Was Nearly Meryl Streep's Nanny. Um, I, I The film's director, Carol Rice, uh, was um, my sort of, is the word Ertzatz, this is a classical music show, um, father, uh, surrogate father, really. And so I had much more access to Meryl Streep than I would have done playing the part if I'd just been, as it were, a jobbing actress. I'm playing the girl on the undercliff. The girl um, on the undercliff. Well, there's a scene with a kind of cavorting, uh, you know, buxom uh, milkmaid type and her (laughs) boyfriend that Meryl Streep and Jeremy Irons see you're not actually we're on the undercliff and they're there at the they're at the overcliff i suppose right. and we're behaving very much in the way that jeremy and meryl are not so we're being all saucy and sexy mm. and they're being all stiff upper lip and victorian-y in that moment and but of course i because of being carol's sort of surrogate daughter i had much more access to meryl and um when she came back to Britain a couple of years later to do another film. She said, oh, and she by this time had a couple of kids and said to Carol and his wife, Betsy, um, can Ari be my nanny? And they said, uh, no, she's a proper actress now, which wasn't true. I'd have loved to be her nanny. Um, <laughs> but I, yes. Uh, yes, so I don't think I ever knew the score until we saw, until, you know, the movie was out, but I had a wonderful, wonderful time. Of course, that was my second ever job and an introduction to movies that aren't you know everyone called the director sir and you know the star Mm. ate in a kind of special place it was all very um uh, you know old school hollywood hollywood well while we're talking about films this is a good opportunity to remind you our listeners about mark kermode's film music show which was on yesterday you can hear it again by using the scala radio app or listening online at scalaradio.co.uk Ari, you said before that you don't think that was the doomiest piece of music. Of no, piece of music. What, I, what, what do you think was the is the doomiest? What that I've been in? Yes, uh, I did a in the days when they did these brilliant, brilliant, incredibly expensive costume drama. I was in something called No Country for Old Men, not the movie, but a with Trevor Howard playing. Help no. me out, um, a Swift, a Jonathan Swift uh, of Gulliver's Travels. And that had some very doomy music. As a TV piece, was that? Yeah, it was a BBC TV production. You know, in the days when, you know, Jonathan Powell or Pearl, as I believe you're supposed to say, Mm. um, and all those kind of great old toffs did those shows. Uh, Did did Trevor Howard ask you to become a nanny of any kind? No, he didn't because, and I don't think this is slander because he's long dead, but he was pretty my mother would say three sheets to the wind most of the time and I believe that was an issue for him Mm. um so no he didn't and I'm not even sure he had any kids but no that's the only production on which I've asked been asked to be someone's staff member (laughs) I mean the extraordinary thing about Trevor Howard um and actually while we're talking about films and music I think one of the the films which has is most closely associated with a classical piece would be 
um, brief encounter, brief encounter with the with the amazing Rachmaninoff that that Trevor Howard is in is in that, and it's extraordinary to think when you see that film. I think he was only thirty two. He looks about sixty. Yes, um, but in those days, um, that was the aspiration. If you were you you couldn't wait to be a you know an important old person. So yes, you, know, and, all, you dressed yeah, and, old, didn't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. As a kid, you would you would have worn a suit and. When you got a bit older, you, you could progress from wearing a cap to wearing a hat <laughs> to show that you were properly a man. Um, You're not that old, Charlie. I do wear I do wear hats and caps though. I think it's important. For, for I, I've seen you in many. <laughs> so this is Charlie Hickson and Friends uh, on Scala Radio, and I'm here today with my old friend, very old friend. We might, in fact, we might talk in a minute about how we met, Arabella Weir. Uh, who is um, sharing some music with me. And now this next track, Arabella, you've chosen is, it's another piano piece, uh, this time a piano concerto. It's Mozart's Piano Concerto Number no. 21, the Andante. And when we were putting the show together, you said you liked the track because it, it, it was a good track to chill out to. Yeah. Uh, Mozart is what, you know, uh, music snobs, like my dad would have thought as easy listening, hence being taken <laughs> to magic flute as a child instead of, you know, the ring cycle. Mm. And my dad, very much as he was with wine, thought, you know, you, you'd have to train your ears. So you'd start on easy, you know, basically if it was easy to listen to, it wasn't worthy of him. Not that he didn't like Mozart, but, you know, Mozart is pretty um likable the moment you hear it it's not complicated i mean you know there's not uh, much sturm und drang i think the the german phrase is that sort of very heavy well there's not a lot of crash bang wallop there's nope. lots of heavy emotions it's all yes it is often used uh, in scenes where you'll have a string quartet at a, at a cocktail party tink tinkering away right or, or for example you could imagine making a hovis commercial using uh, a, a bit of mozart <laughs> not that it is mozart in that but yes uh, this is uh, uncomplicated music for me to listen to, I would say. Well, let's listen to it. Mozart's Piano Concerto, number 21, the Andante. And that is a track that my guest this week on Charlie Higson and Friends, Arabella Weir, has chosen as something uncomplicated that is that is good to relax to. And it's quite interesting the way that so much classical music is being sort of packaged and, and sold, particularly to younger people, as chill-out music. You can get so many <laughs> classical chill-out compilation albums. And, and, you know, and why not if that's a way to, to get into it? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, I I have, as they've grown up, played my kids bits of classical music. I don't think either of them have taken to it on, but they'll probably make up the fabric of their background, you know, of who they are as they get older. But I don't think, I mean, Mozart is, you know, very easy to listen to and very tuneful. I think mm. that's why sort of classical music snobs look down at it because of course it's got a tune. And much like a successful pop song, you know, which of course he was of his day, he was a pop star of his day, it, you can remember the tune pretty quickly. 
I mean, um, you, you keep saying that Mozart is, is looked down on by classical music snobs, but I think most of your sort of classical music experts would put him certainly in the top five. If not, he often would be number one as the greatest classical composer of all well, time. Yes. Particularly, uh, you know, nowadays we lump classical music together as one big thing, um, but it wasn't, and it changed all the time. And he was revolutionary in in how he oh, yeah. advanced the music and, and and changed it and brought it forward. And funnily enough, so for, you see, my dad um, didn't listen to a lot of classical music uh, growing up. He, he he got into it later on, and he got into it through the more obviously, I suppose, romantic stuff or the or the big sort of Beethoven stuff. But as he got older, he said he started to listen to something like Mozart more because it wasn't constantly asking you to have a huge emotional reaction to it. Mm. You could just uh, have it, I suppose, use it in a more contemplative way. Yeah, and, it, well, um, you know, maybe Mozart would shoot us or classical music snobs would shoot us for saying this, but you you can have it on in the background and be doing, you could actually read a book while listening to a Mozart concerto. I challenge you to do that listening to Wagner. Uh, well, you see, I when I'm writing, I listen to Wagner a lot. Yes, because you can put on an opera at like ten in the morning, and it will take you through the whole day. They last so long, and it's kind of there as just this kind of energy and. Oh, uh, uh, you see, I can't, I can't do anything else and listen to opera. But maybe I've got a finer brain, Charlie, and I and I. That'll be it. That'll and be I, it. but I actually, it's also because I'm more of a show off than you. So I like, I like singing the arias. <laughs> As it, I mean, I, I like a, a nice rousing opera while I'm sort of doing a big clean or gardening or something. You're with me, Charlie Hickson, and my friend Arabella Weir. And we're choosing some of our favourite pieces of music to play for you this evening. On the way next, the Sky Boat Song. Uh, and that's from the soundtrack to the romantic TV series Outlander, about a woman who travels back in time and falls in love with a sort of rugged Scotsman. Um, now... The reason I've played that um, is because Arabella, you were you were talking earlier about that your grandmother played the piano, and um, you had said in when we were talking about the show beforehand that one of your memories is her playing the Sky Boat song. We don't have a recording of her playing, <laughs> which oh is God. why which is why we used that version. So uh, you said well, she was a pianist as well. Yes, well, my father's mother was a pianist and she taught piano, but my other granny was a, uh, my boarder's granny was a, like many women of that generation, um, you know, just taught to play the piano and she'd play it in mm. church and play it for me and sing the Skyboat song. Uh, it's funny, the, um, when I shoot the series that you know I'm in, Two Doors Down uh, in Glasgow, often on the next set is Outlanders. Uh, and they call it Game of Kilts in Scotland uh, because it's pretty much um, uh, a derivation of Game of Thrones, but all set in the same sort of period in swashbuckling Scotland. So they call it Game of Kilts. Um, and my granny, that granny, who we called Granny Shishi, her, her name was Sheila, was a devout uh, Christian and uh, as I say, played the organ in church, St. Cuthbert's in Melrose, but she also played the piano. And she was probably the only uh, figure of what I think is the absolute cornerstone of parenting. She's probably the only elder I had in my life who gave me unconditional love. So that 
my parents were very fierce and not particularly loving. And that granny was very, very loving. And used so being with her, every time I was with her on a visit, she would play that every day for me and we'd sing together. And uh, I just love it. And that she was a very big influence in my life and a wonderful, wonderful woman. Oh, well, that's lovely. I mean, it, it is a shame we couldn't have had a version of her playing at the piano. That would have been... That would have been lovely. Um, my uh, one of my grannies was Irish, um, but she came over and married an, an Englishman, and he was very strict and old-fashioned. Um, one of my aunts, for instance, really wanted to be an actress, and he just banned her. She said, "You, you cannot." No, she sure. became a, a nurse instead. And my granny, she loved to play the piano. They had a piano in the house. And she would play it in the afternoons, and but the kids would have to keep a lookout because if they saw the dad coming home, it was like, quick, mum, stop. She'd have to stop playing the piano and put the lid oh. down. She wasn't allowed to play the piano. They had a piano because it looked posh, but she wasn't allowed to play it. So, so nobody it's really sad. It. No. Well, she did. She played it when he was out at work. So The subjugation um, of women and the forms it's taken. I mean, imagine having a piano that you weren't allowed to play when I'm not here and you're not allowed, to, because that would look like you were having fun. Yeah, I, I think possibly they were, she was allowed to play when he was around if it was like... Um, For company. A hymn or oh, something God. like that. And oh. he, uh, he classically loved listening to <laughs> marching brass band music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how but no, it was really interesting, you know, that that, um, that all of his children and, you know, he had eight children um, were all forced into quite conventional roles in life. But but these things sort of pop out later on. Arabella, I asked if you had a track that you'd like to share with the world and you've chosen. I have a bonnet trimmed trimmed with blue. I have a bonnet by... trimmed with blue. Do you wear it? Yes, I do. I will wear it when I can. Go into the ball with my young man. <laughs> you laugh every time. I almost feel we don't need to play the version. No, no, you definitely Kathleen need to play it. But that Ferrier was a pretty good rendition. That. It was. I mean, is this a piece from your from your child? Did you ever actually live in Scotland? Uh, no, never lived there. But born in America, brought up there. But I, but how's this? Because my parents were so incredibly patriotic and determined that their children should never think of themselves as English. So dad was working abroad my entire childhood until they split up. But when we came back to Britain, we'd never, we'd fly to London and go straight to Scotland. So I'd never been to England until my mm. parents split up uh, and my mother decided to live in London and not go back to live in Scotland. Um, so, and my parents once caught me saying in the Middle East to someone, someone said, where are you, are you American? Because we all had American accents because we'd come from, you know, that dad had been posted to Washington. And I said, oh, I'm English. And my dad flew and he said, you're not English. Never say you're English, you're Scottish. Um, so, but, but did no, you have I've a never full on lived... English accent though? Yeah, but then because I went to American school in America, then French school in Cairo, and I didn't go to an English school, and then French school when we came to London, and I didn't go to an English school mm. until I was eleven. But but your but your father's accent. Ah, but my father, my father was a lower middle class fifer uh, from Dunfermline, and when he joined the air force from which he was recruit, recruited to the foreign office, he was not only overweight as he was then, giving birth to his fear of fat people, 
and his bullying of me, but he was the only person with a regional accent who hadn't been at Eton. So he quickly learnt that if you wanted to make it in the Foreign Office, you didn't go, here, uh, fancy a cup of tea, eh, Michael? Um, so my father, but try as he might, he couldn't say food or foot. So he'd say, will you get your, get your foot? Will you get your foot off the table? I'm not going to give you any food. He just, um, but otherwise, yes, my father's accent, as you will remember, you could cut glass with it. Uh, but, and my mother was posh Scot, so, but, but ironically, their parents all had Scottish accents, but then my mother had been sent to a posh school. So, so, um, so I have a bonnet trimmed with blue. Was this something that you all sang around the piano out in Egypt to, to remind uh, you of home? <laughs> no, mum would play it a lot. Right. Uh, uh, on the gramophone. Uh, and we'd all do that as a joke. You know, I have a bonnet trimmed because there's that sort of that very 40s. My mother well, absolutely well, well, loved it. And, and you, you, you have something of a, of a love for that sort of brisk Scottish, uh, unsentimental kind of uh, Calvinistic. Yes. Uh... Well, all that music, Skyboat Song, all those, you know, Highland ditties, which that is, that's an original, I think it's 18th century Highland song. They all remind me of my childhood and my parents were fiercely uh, patriotic Scots. And even though we were by this time living in London, everything had to be, you know, Scotland, the brave and, you know, all the music or contemporary music like that had to be Scottish. And of course, I had such a lovely time, as I said, that the granny from the borders was the only one who gave me unconditional love. Mm. So every time I hear that music, I also think of of the time being with that granny, which was hugely formative because, you know, my parents really weren't very nice to me at all. And she was always, always nice well, to you me. Keep, you keep saying that you, your parents weren't very nice to you at all and implying that you had a miserable childhood. And I'm not saying you didn't, but you're choosing a lot of music to take you back to, to there and saying you love listening to it because it reminds you of your childhood. It's well, a, that's think, an interesting thing. I think I not only made peace with my parents, no small thanks to therapy, but the times that music was present in our lives were the nice times. So they were very neglectful and not very loving. But for example, when I was taken to see the magic flute or when dad would play the Schubert, uh, it was reminiscent of the nice times. And the, the, few, the few nice family holidays we had in Scotland, the soundtrack was always Mm. you know those that music so it's reminiscent of the of the snapshots of the good times of my childhood which well, were few and far between <laughs> i'm charlie hickson and you're listening to me colin hunt and my friend <laughs> my friend doreen <laughs> on scala radio uh actually i might talk about that doreen went through a number of name changes but yes doreen as played by arabella weir here on scala radio This episode of Charlie Higson and Friends featured a clip of Tchaikovsky's Piano Concerto No. 1, performed by Alexandra Dariescu and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, followed by Schubert's Piano Sonata No. 21, played by Clear Williams. Both extracts are taken from albums released on Signum Records and are available to buy at signumrecords.com. A little later we heard a bit of Mozart's Piano Concerto No. 21, starring Yol Iam Sun and the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. 
That's available on Onyx Records. Find out more at onyxclassics.com. In episode two of Arabella Weir's podcast, Charlie and Arabella reminisce about Colin Hunt and Maureen, or was it Doreen? As well as revealing their favourite fast show double act. The Charlie Higson and Friends podcasts were originally broadcast as a series on Scala Radio in April 2021. Scala Radio is a classical music and entertainment station, home to Angelica Bell, Simon Mayo, Mark Hermode, Penny Smith, and me, Charles Nove. Why not join me for breakfast weekday mornings between 7 and 10? It would be lovely to see you. Scala Radio broadcasts across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, Smart Speaker, Sky TV Channel 0216, the Scala Radio app, and online at scalaradio.co.uk.